Welcome to another episode of the Looking After Nature podcast, where it hopes to bring you close to nature and wildlife in Hampshire. My name is Andy Davidson, and I'm here once again with my co-host, Carly Harrod. Hi, Carly. Hi, Andy. How are you today? I'm fine, and it's good to be out again, once again, in the fresh air. Of course, and especially because you're out with me today, Andy. That's always special, Carly, you know that. Yeah. So today's podcast is a little bit different, as we don't have a guest today. No, we don't this month, and that's because you're talking to me. Yes, so you've been with the service for a number of years now and you've held a number of different roles but you've recently taken on a new role, what's that? Yeah, 30 years, I think I've said that before, I've been around for quite a while but I've just started a new role as the Nature Recovery Officer for the service and for the department as well actually. So what is nature recovery? Well that is quite a big question actually because it covers a lot of topics. it's a new thing that's sort of coming out, it's a new idea that's been building for some time. Um, and it's understanding that um, the wildlife and nature in the general countryside across the world actually has declined so much um, through various things and you've got climate change happening and it's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, so there'll be something coming out soon called the Local Nature Recovery Strategies which cover the, will cover the entirety of England. And that will be trying to work out how we can improve things for nature. Um, but also it's the natural processes which happen in nature. Mm-hmm. Things like um, photosynthesis, which will sequester carbon, yep. which will hope to reduce the impact of climate change. There's things like natural flood management, where natural habitats can hopefully reduce the impact of flooding and things like that. So it's a very, very big topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, it's going to be a bit difficult to express in one big question. Why is it becoming so important now, though? Why is this so critical now? We've known about climate change for a long time. You know, why have we now changed over to this more of a nature recovery? I think it's the recognition that the majority of people now recognise climate change as a thing. There's still some people who deny it's happening, mm-hmm. or they just say it's natural. Um, and actually, if you talk about um, the different periods of time, you know, if we're talking about the Paleolithic, we're talking about the Stone Age. Um, and if you talk about um, dinosaurs, you know, they have their own periods. Mm-hmm. There's a thing now that people think about is the Anthropocene, which is, means it's time where people have had the most impact on the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly when we were running around as cavemen, you know. Some people still are. Well, some people still are. They don't live in caves normally, no. but you know, so you're not having, you know, you're part of the environment. You're having less impact than you know we would be, you know, as people, modern-day humans. You mm-hmm. might think of, um, you know, they're not driving around in cars. They're not using fossil fuels and to eat their houses. Um, but it's got past the point where, in some ways, the world can cope with all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been recognised. Actually, we need to. Um, and climate change is happening, you know, we had those storms just a couple of weeks back, yeah. you know, three storms, all record breaking, some of them in terms of wind, but records only set a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. flooding, you know, and that's all to do with the general heating of the environment of the worldwide, um, which gives you more extremes. Mm-hmm. Now, the natural world is quite good at buffering all that, Yeah. you know, so it moderates things. Um, so that, um, for example, so that um, trees, we know trees and plants produce oxygen mm-hmm. um, in photosynthesis. 
and they absorb carbon, yeah. carbon dioxide. Um, and that's good for us because, you know, we breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. And previously, the effect of the plants and animals would outweigh any impact we had in terms of our carbon emissions. So that uh, the plants would have naturally moderated and reduced the impact of any carbon emissions. Now, carbon dioxide, which is given out partly when we, well, not when we breathe, carbon dioxide is given out when we breathe, but it'll also be given out when things like trees, we're standing next to a wood pile here, so as they rot down, the carbon that's in that tree will be slowly released into the atmosphere. And if you burn it, it's released quicker. Mm -hmm. And then if you dig up um, fossil fuels like oil and coal and burn them, that gives out more carbon dioxide mm-hmm. until um, the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is called a greenhouse gas. It's one of the greenhouse gases. And if you imagine you're in a greenhouse, <laughs> it's warmer in the greenhouse, isn't it? It is. So it'll let heat through, but won't let it escape, basically. Yeah. So then the whole planet starts warming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be just by overall, just by a little bit. I think that they're trying to aim at the moment um, to keep the increase below two degrees. Because um, once you start getting over that point, you can't. You could eventually, if you just carry on like we have been, you reach the point of no return. Yep. Where you aren't able to do anything to to stop that chain reaction. You know, and you can have to imagine things like, you know, Mars might have had an atmosphere at one point. Might have. But it's totally uninhabitable now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just in that lovely, they call it the Goldilocks zone in a, in a planet's um, positioning in its solar system. Of it's just right. It's not too hot, not too cold. You know, so it's able to have liquid water and it's able to retain its atmosphere. Um, but if you let it balance too far, then that whole structure breaks down. So it is really important. We only have one world. As you said, we don't have other ones we can go zoom in off to to live. So we need to take care of what we have, don't we? Absolutely. And I mean, I've heard one illustration of how, because you look, at our, look up at the sky and you think, well, it looks, it's limitless, isn't it? You know, there's this lovely sky up there full of clouds today. Yeah, full of clouds today, but it's still lovely. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you think about the sort of globe you might have had you know, those illustrations of the world on a globe in your science, you know, your science lab at school or stuff like that. Do you know how thick in relation, if it's at the same scale, the, the atmosphere is to that globe? No. It's a sheet of paper. Oh. So if you think about that, it's a pretty finite resource and we yes. need to look after it. We do. Um, and we can do things like, you know, it's a, it's a lot of pl- people want to plant trees, mm-hmm. restoring natural habitats. And that's partly about absorbing some of that carbon. Yeah. Um, and also about, um, because also you get all sorts of knock-on effects. Mm-hmm. Like we're standing in a woodland here. Um, it'll naturally moderate the temperature locally because mm-hmm. it's shady here. So if you come here in the summer, it's not as hot as it is outside. So if you've got trees around your houses, hopefully you don't need to use air conditioning quite so much because it's cooler. Yep. Um, this, all this vegetation here, bonds the soil together so if it rains all this soil doesn't get washed down into the river and mm-hmm. silt the rivers up um, if you're looking at a grassland area with loads of plants in it loads of different flowering plants 
that can produce natural pollinators. Yep. So if we think about grasslands, I mean, where, you know, if you improve the amount of flowering plants in there, that's a natural resource for all the pollinators. Mm-hmm. We know how much we rely on pollinators. Yep. I, I can't remember what percentage of food is actually pollinated, but it's quite important things like tomatoes and apples and, you know, there's a huge amount of our food which wouldn't be produced if we didn't have insect pollinators. Yep. And there are some areas in the United States, for example, where, you know, they've done these massive plain areas which used to be flower-rich and they're now big open fields. And they're after bringing lorry loads of bees mm-hmm. to actually pollinate their crops yep. because they just don't have the pollinators in those fields. So one thing that's really in the news at the moment, it's all about tree planting, isn't it? But it's not actually the best solution, is it? I think the way, the way to think about it is the right trees in the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, because yes, you can, it, you can increase the carbon sequestration in an area. So you've got a field or a farmland area. And if you plant trees on it, it will take more carbon in. Now we talked about sequestration. We need to explain what that means. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about the process of uh, the plant when they photosynthesize. Uh, the sun's rays, they use that energy to take the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere mm-hmm. and put the carbon into the trunk of the tree, the roots and everything else, um, and give out oxygen. And that's break. called a carbon store, isn't it? They're yeah, it's storing a carbon that store. Carbon. So it's stored in the, the trunks or in the leaves of the plants on the ground, in the grasses, in their roots partly in the deadwood, but also in a naturally functioning system, it will pump it into the soil. Mm-hmm. So those are carbon stores. And sequestration means, it's derived from a Greek word, I think, but it means to hide away. Right. So I could, you know, if I wanted to, I can't afford it, I have to say, but I, <laughs> I could buy a cottage on the, on the Welsh coast and sequester myself. Okay. I could go in there and hide it away, yeah. hide myself away. And that's what that means, sequestering. Um, but trees can do that. But then, for example, you know, if you've got a football pitch, you can't no longer use that as a football pitch afterwards. Yeah. Or more importantly, farmland. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you can plant trees all over the farmland. But where are you going to grow your food? Exactly. Um, but there are also improvements you can make to grassland itself. So taking a grassland, I mean, it's really weird, we call it improved grassland. That means it's improved... By leaving it alone? No, by adding loads of things to try and get more grass off it to feed mm-hmm. the animals. But it generally means that it's a lot less abundant wildlife in there. Yes. I mean... Um, so it's improved for the feed quality, but not for our pollinators and the things that we actually want it for. Yeah, and there's also, there's also evidence that it's actually not improved for the feed quality. There's more and more evidence. I mean, people talk about pasture-fed rather yeah. than just grass-fed. And there's a lot more evidence that if you've got a horse grazing on a really rich field with loads of flowers on it and they're eating bits of pollen and different types of plant, they get far more nutrients and mm-hmm. goodness from that rather than, um, you know, uh, just basic, just grass. Yeah. And I suppose you can almost vision it like, you know, if you're having a pudding, you could just eat loads of suet and that could be a pudding. Or if you've got loads of fruit in amongst it and loads of good stuff and less of the pudding... That's better for you. Yep. You'll still survive on it, but you won't be as healthy. And it won't be as nice. No, and that's it. Um, but as I say, there are improvements. If you take what I was talking about as an improved grassland and put flowering plants back in it, mm-hmm. that can sequester more carbon and take in more carbon. 
So it's trees in the right place, but it's also decisions about you know, adding trees to a hedgerow. Yeah. Can be good. Main, maintaining a hedgerow, because that can sequester carbon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say it's quite complicated, and there's a lot of figures in my head, it's which a, I won't start spouting. No, please don't. Not on the podcast. It's <laughs> a, I mean, it is a huge subject, and this is just a little intro into it. And we're looking at it from a very landscape scale. We're looking at the big picture, and we're looking at the whole of Hampshire, you know, and what we can do to make our land holdings better. But what can people do? Well, you can actually, I mean, there are little tiny things because, I mean, it's like people's gardens are like a massive nature reserve when you're mm-hmm. all together, you know, and even with pollinators. I mean, Bug Life, I think, at one point was suggesting just get a square metre of your lawn and let it grow. Yep. And you see what wildflowers come up in, mm-hmm. it, which can support your pollinators. And then if you add all those up across all the gardens across England and the UK, that's quite a, a big hu- thing to do. It's a huge area. There's more gardens than there are national nature reserves in area-wise mm. in the UK. And one of the main principles is, as well is the fact that um, there's this principle called bigger, better, more joined up. Mm-hmm. So your special places, you know, your spe- sites of special scientific interest. So we're in a, an ancient woodland here. Yeah, it's a special place. We need to prove. We need to manage it better. So maybe. Yeah, if some of these trees fall over, you don't just tidy them up. No, we just leave them. Or use firewood. Mm-hmm. Because when you burn the... I mean, firewoods are good. It's, it's better than a fossil fuel, yeah. which is those buried fuels like oil and coal, and peat as well. Um, but it's not, you know... But there is a carbon store in that log line there, which will slowly release, but it's not being released instantly. Mm-hmm. So, but also make them slightly bigger. So yep. we're thinking of doing a bit of planting around the edge to make the woodland a bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more joined up as well. Yeah. Because the better joined up it is, the better the species in them are able to move across the landscape. Um, and you might have a block of chalk grassland, which is really rich for pollinators, and it's two kilometres away or even more away to the next bit. Mm-hmm. So the insects can't move across. Yeah. But if we do a couple of fringes of fields that are flower rich or maybe restore a bit of chalk grass in between yeah so it could be a corridor as we call them or a stepping stone mm-hmm. uh, so a bee can go from that bit to that bit to that bit and move around more naturally because um one of the main principles is also all these functions that things do i've talked about are quite often called nature-based solutions because mm-hmm. there are some people you know when we're looking at carbon in the atmosphere are thinking about technical ways of trying to get the carbon out um, or even burying it once you've got it in a tree mm-hmm. you know? and so there are actual things where you've got like a tank with this metal thing comes out of the tank and captures the carbon and it goes back drops back into the tank and it's absorbed into the chemicals in the tank and it's an artificial tree we don't really need them though, do we? Because we've got trees. We've got trees, yeah. yeah. And nature-based solutions are f- practical and they've evolved to do that over millions of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, quite, they're cheap. And it's not the only reason for doing it, but they're cheap and effective. And they quite often do it 24-7. Yeah. And we don't need to have produced all this steel and electricity and chemicals because that tree's doing yeah. the same job. It's also talked about flooding becoming more and more of a problem. I yeah. Mean, 
clearly we've seen it on the news where you know you the seven recently was flooded now to evacuate loads of people and mm -hmm. some people have been dying now there was in Australia just the last week about 12 people died yeah. in floods out there and that's partly because we've altered the landscape so much that all the water washes off we drain places and try and think well we can make this paddock better by having less water in it so we try and get the water off as quick as possible so then the water gets in stream downstream and it gets it builds up more than it should down there mm -hmm. and then they try and get the water off until it ends up in somebody's living room yeah full of silt yeah <laughs> but actually if you've got more woodlands in the upland areas um, and vegetation on the, which bind the soils it acts like a sponge and it's held back up there and yeah. slowly released mm -hmm. um, so that's what we call natural flood management. So a lot of these terms you, you've used today, like sequestration, it's going to become a lot more common in when we're talking about these nature-based solutions, isn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's, people say it's unusual that I don't have any sort of meeting where I don't mention beavers. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that to come up, Andy. Because um, beavers are what we call a keystone species mm -hmm. and their impact is far greater than just what they do um, now European beavers I'll say that again <laughs> now European beavers used to be in Britain uh, but they were hunted for their fur and for their anal glands something in their anal glands castoroides I think they call it yeah um, which was used in all sorts of medicine and stuff like that um, and you can eat them as well. You can um, eat them, you can use their fur. Yeah. They are a very versatile animal. But they were hunted to extinction. Yeah. Um, probably about 1500, 1600. Uh, so it's not relatively that long ago. Hmm. But they've been reintroduced into pens over here and actually in Scotland there's some wild beavers. And at the moment they are looking in England at some licenses to release them just into the wild, not into pens. Um, now what they do is, they'll, everybody knows what beavers do. They make a big dam. They make big dams and flood places. Um, and actually, you know, trouble is people live in Narnia, you know, <laughs> and of course the beavers there eat fish. They don't eat fish, um, but they create, what they're trying to do for themselves, because they eat the bark and the leaves off the trees. Yeah. Um, and they make these ponds in wooded areas, generally. They will eat grass and stuff, they'll graze, like some animals will. Um, but they'll cut down the trees and small bushes and then store that in the water um, through the winter. Mm -hmm. And it gives them a food supply. Um, so they create this pond, basically. Um, and that's clearly good for things that are like ponds. Yeah. Your frogs, dragonflies, loads of insects, breeding fish. Birds then come and feed on all that stuff. But also it will increase the amount of carbon that little bit of woodland can sequester. Because ponds are very good at that. Plus also it holds back the water. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't come rushing down the channels and flood downstream. It holds it back. And I've seen one study I think where I think it took, before beavers got into a system, from the top of the bottom of the valley it used to take about two hours for the water to get down the valley. Well, with beaver dams upstream, it was taking several days. Mm -hmm. So it's a slow release yeah. of water. So you don't get those floods flushing down through. Yeah, and taking uh, all of the substrate and everything else with it. Yeah, all the silt and all the pollution. Ponds are very good at filtering out any pollutions as well, mm -hmm. so they're good for that. 
Now in Germany, in Bavaria, where they've had beavers reintroduced for 50 years or more, there was a study done where this town needed flood defences. It doesn't stop them happening straight away. You still need flood defences. Mm -hmm. But they planned a million euros to put the flood defences in for this one town. It just so happened, beavers moved in upstream just before they built it all. And they didn't need such big flood defences. Mm -hmm. And they saved 600,000 euros. That's pretty good. Um, and of course, these beavers are up there, beavering away. Yeah all the time mm -hmm. it's not sending some bloke out up with a shovel yeah to adjust things you know um clearly that you know they do chop down trees and people worry about what's well, my favorite tree in the garden but there are things you can do with that mm -hmm. um actually my paddock's a bit wetter you know but there are things you can do to control them or just maybe don't worry about that little wet bit yeah um but the benefits far outweigh any problems and I think it's quite likely there are going to be beavers released across the country in the next few years. And it's, it's one of those nature-based solutions I talked about. Um, and we need ways of coping with that because I don't want my favourite apple tree cut chopped down. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to get there. It's quite dry where I am. Yeah, not where you are. No. <laughs> uh, but we need ways of coping with them and living with them. Yeah. Well, thank you, Andy. It's been really good to hear about the very huge topic of nature recovery and I can't wait to see beavers in Hampshire. Yeah I mean they're going to be lovely I mean it's it, it quite often because uh, there was beavers on the river Otter strangely in Devon <laughs> you know um, and they just people just suddenly re I mean I think the locals knew they were there for some time and then because if you're going to release them you need to do it licensed yeah. way. Um, so they first off checked they were European beavers but the locals really fought for them to stay because mm -hmm. people were visiting the area just to see beavers. Well, yeah. You know, they were their beavers. You can't take our beavers away. <laughs> um, and they've got the right to stay now. You know, so it's, um, I, I think it's a very exciting time. It may need some changes for all of us, including how we manage conservation land. Definitely. Um, but you're going to be seeing more and more of this information coming up. And I think everybody needs to understand it and it helps people if people understand it so we can get local support when we try and change things and where can people go to find out more information yeah there's not i mean it's a very new topic you know and if you probably looked at it you wouldn't even find much on the internet these days um but we are going to produce a special series of podcasts to look at various bits of this so keep your ears open for those um and you'll hear me talking about this far more well, I hope you've all enjoyed this episode of Looking After Nature. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or thoughts, or if there's another topic you'd like us to discuss, let us know by checking out our social media pages. And as always, please rate us on iTunes so it helps other people find our stuff. Once again, I'm Andy Davidson. And I'm Carly Harrod. See you next time. <laughs>